0: Well, good morning, and thank you for being here with us this Lord's Day. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, and that'll be our text today as we continue our study of the Ten Commandments. I wasn't with you last week. I appreciate Pastor Matt coming and sharing from Colossians. But today we're going to return to our study of the Ten Commandments. If you have been with us, you know that we're going to look at each of the commandments as we walk through Exodus 20 and ask three questions. Ask, what does this commandment say about God, about His character? What does it say about man and about the heart of man? And what does it say about Jesus? Or how does Jesus transform this commandment? It is helpful for us to do this so that we can really process through and think about what these commandments mean and and how they're relevant for us today. And so today we come to the second commandment in Exodus chapter twenty verses 4 through 6, and so I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 6 just to give us the context there. And out of reverence for God's Word, if you're able to, if you would stand together as I read for us today. Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 1, remembering the, the, the context here, God's people are at the foot of Mount Sinai, and God gives His ten words to them, and He says this, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. If you would pray with me. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you might help us to learn more about you and your character through your word today. That we would learn more about ourselves and the inclination of our sinful hearts. And Lord, that we would see the glory of Christ in the gospel, especially as we prepare to come to the Lord's table together today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. And You may be seated. For some of you, you may have already noted, as we've begun to talk about the Ten Commandments, Uh, that there is a a difference in how different traditions view the Ten Commandments. For example, if you have grown up in a Catholic tradition, a Roman Catholic tradition, you may have already noticed that in in the Protestant Reformed tradition, we number the commandments differently. In fact, in the Roman Catholic Church, they view what we are speaking of today as the first and second commandment. They view that as one commandment. So in the Roman Catholic and the Lutheran tradition, you have verses 3 through 6 as one commandment. And so they look at, you shall have no other gods before me, along with, you shall have no graven images. And so the application of that then is that you should have no images or icons or idols of other gods. And that's why you'll notice, I hope you notice, a pretty big difference when you walk into our church, a Baptist church, and you look around and you notice uh, we don't have any icons in here. We don't have any images of Jesus. We don't have a crucifix where Jesus is hanging from the cross because we view these commandments in the Protestant Reformed tradition rather differently than those in the Roman Catholic tradition. We view commandment 1 as, you shall have no other gods before me. But the second commandment then, God is telling us, we should have no carved images or graven images, not just of other false gods, but even of our one true God. And that is very significant. And I hope you'll see that significance as we walk through this passage today. Again, we're going to walk through this passage looking at it as we did the first commandment by looking at those questions. What does it teach us about God? What does it teach us about man? And what does it teach us about Jesus? And we'll begin with that first question. What does this commandment teach us about the character of God? And it teaches us this, point one in your outline. We must worship the right God the right way. And so the first commandment tells us we need to worship the one true God. But the second commandment tells us how we should worship that God. And how we worship God is just as important as the God we are worshiping. We have to worship the right God the right way. And friends, this is difficult for us in our culture today because we are a stubbornly independent people. We are a people who pride ourselves on finding our own way to do things. Sometimes we pride ourselves on it. Sometimes it's just the way it works out. But our focus is often on the final destination, more on how we get to that destination. I experienced this just this last week. I had the opportunity to go with my family on vacation. We went down to Orlando, Florida. Now, if you've not been to Orlando, Florida before, let me give you just... A little contrast here. Orlando, Florida traffic is vastly different than Bloomfield traffic. Okay? Let that sink in for a minute. So when I'm in Bloomfield and I want to go west, I get on a road that says west. And guess which direction it goes? West! That That's a fairly simple system, isn't it? But in Orlando, apparently there's roads that go North that say west, and south that say east, or maybe the other way around, I'm still not sure. If you somehow could have put a GPS device on our car, it would have looked like one of those family circus cartoons. We started out here, and I foolishly thought, well, we need to go here, and this is west, so we'll just head west. No, we just drove all around, and up and down, and all over, and... We finally arrived at where it was we were trying to get to, and what did we say to ourselves? We said a few things to ourselves, but what do we say out loud? We said we've arrived. We're, we're here. we finally made it. You know, sometimes we'll say things like, well, we, we took the scenic route. We kind of laugh at that. We almost pride ourselves on that, of of finding new ways to get places or new ways to do things, or sometimes we don't use the right tool for the job, but we finally get things figured out. But we need to understand, we are a people who, who kind of pride ourselves on, as long as we get to the right place, as long as we get the right product, the right result, well, it's okay if we do it a bunch of different ways. We kind of pride ourselves on sayings like, find your own path. And the reason I'm making this point is because when it comes to worshiping God, it's not just important that we worship the right God. It's important that we worship the right God the right way. And so God does not say to us, well, just go find your own path or find your own way. He tells us in His words specifically how we are to worship Him and He tells us how we are not to worship Him. And in the second commandment, He tells us specifically we do not worship Him through graven images, through icons or through idols. And this was very important in the context in which it was given. Because remember what the people of Israel have just experienced. They have spent hundreds of years in a land filled with images and a land filled with icons, filled with idols. The Egyptians, as we've already discussed, worship many false gods and normally the depictions of those gods were graven images. And so even today, if you go home and look up something on ancient Egypt in their worship, what you'll probably see will be some type of image of a human body, but with some type of animal head. A falcon, or or jackal, or something different. You'll see golden cows. You'll see different animals, different things of the sky, of the earth, of the sea that were carved out by hand and that were worshipped in the place of these false gods. So it makes a lot of sense that God would say to His people, "Listen." I don't want you to worship that way. Not just, I don't want you to worship those false gods, but I don't want you to worship me this way. And so we see the context here of this first commandment is not just, or excuse me, the second commandment is not just a repeat of the first to not worship other gods. It's to not worship the right God the wrong way. One commentator I read this week said it this way Israel is not to do as other peoples by worshiping the idols of their gods, nor are they to do as other nations by worshiping their own God that way. Again, we, we need to remember this and think about this because we live in a culture and in a context where everybody wants to worship God in their own way. i think about how often people say things like, well, yeah, I, I, I'm not... So much a fan of organized religion. I don't go to church. I've got a lot of problems with the church. I've got a lot of problems with religion. I worship God in my own way. And what is that way? Normally that way is not sitting down and reading the word and coming under conviction of it and repenting of sin. Normally that own way is, yeah, I just like to kind of go out on walks and, and just kind of see God's creation and, and feel God around me and, and just hear God in the wind. And normally that way is something rather mystical. And normally that way is something that might even affirm the very things that the Scripture condemns. See, our tendency, our, 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 our heart response, our flesh response is to do this. I'm going to do things... My way. In fact, let me just take a poll this morning. For those of you who are parents here today, how many of you had to take, take a lot of time, and I'm talking a lot of time, teaching your kids how to be selfish? Come on. I mean, don't, didn't you have to do that? Don't don't you remember all those times you sat down with them and as they were trying to share with their brothers and sisters and share with others, you said, no, don't share right now. I want you to be selfish. I want you to say, me. Come on, say it with me. 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 Y'all didn't have this experience? No, you didn't. Why? Because nobody has to teach us how to be selfish. Our heart inclination is to be selfish. And this comes out in so many ways. And it especially comes out when it comes even to worshiping God. We are selfish and self-centered even when it comes to how we will worship the God who created us. And so much like we saw in the first commandment, our tendency in our culture today is to lessen who God is and to exalt who we are. And friends, when we do that, it's not the God of the universe we're worshiping. It's ourself, And here God reminds us in this second commandment that we need to be careful because He is a jealous God. And He says that very clearly here in this second commandment. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, we hear that word jealous we often think of that a bit negative, don't we? I'm guessing no one here uses that as a real positive term. You know, oh, I just, I really appreciate that person, they're just so jealous. You know. No, we, we usually use jealous in a negative way. When we talk about, you know, well, you're, you're just jealous of them. We, we really use the word jealous probably when we should use the word envy maybe. You really want what they have. You're really jealous of them. That that is not what the Scripture is saying about God here. In the Scripture here, in the Hebrew, this word jealous, a better way would be to say God is fiercely protective of that which is His. He is fiercely protective of that which is His. You may think of it this way. God has given to us through His Word uh, marriage as a picture of His covenant relationship with man. And so think about this in the context of marriage. Now think about it this way. Imagine you were to come to a wedding and I, at the end of that wedding, stood before you and here was the, the bride and here was the groom and they had exchanged their, their vows and their rings and, and right then at the end of the service I said, okay... Uh, You are now man and wife. And I said to the man, uh, now, wait, let's see. Before you kiss your bride, I think every man in this room should kiss her first. Now, I'm not going to try to get into all your heads right now, but I can tell you when I got married to my wife, that wouldn't have gone so well. Probably for her or me. No, that's not what we do. And imagine if I want a step further, if I don't only said, uh, all right, now she can just go kiss everybody. In fact, and now she's your wife, but um, why don't you just pick a few other people to go live with? There's another commandment that talks about that, that we'll get to. Now we don't do things that way, do we? That that, that doesn't sit well with us. Why? But because they're, they're, there's a fiercely protective part of that. He he is. Her, uh, he, is, uh, he is her husband. She is his wife. They are in a covenant relationship together. And now we get to be witnesses of something very special between the two of them. It's not shared with the rest of us. We're witnesses of it. And what God here is saying about his people is that he's in a covenant relationship with them. He is fiercely protective of that. He will not share his worship and his glory with others, and especially with something you can carve out of wood. I think Matt read the passage earlier, something that you could throw into a fire, and that's your God? And that's what you're going to give glory to, that's what you're going to worship? Now God says not only must we worship Him and Him alone, He says we must worship Him the way He tells us to worship Him. And He says specifically in the second commandment, we are not to worship Him through images and icons and idols and things we can create with our hands. Why do we need this commandment? Well, because point two, this commandment tells us something about our heart. See, by nature, we... We walk by sight and not by faith. Now you'll notice that's the inverse of what the Scripture says the Christian walk is to be. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we are to walk by faith, not by sight. That's the Christian life. And why do we need to have that teaching? Because our flesh response, our inclination, is to walk by sight and not by faith. Anybody ever heard the expression, I'll believe it when I see it? Seeing is believing. I've had people at times tell me when I shared the Gospel with them that, that, that they would respond to the Gospel and believe if they could just see Jesus walk through that door right now. If I could just see Him Maybe, maybe we find that in our Christian life as well. Maybe we make demands of God sometimes. God, you just need to show me. God, I need to see. Especially when the things we see, the things we experience in our life, bring us suffering, bring us anxiety, bring us worry. We then want to see God do something, and so we demand from God, God, show me. I realize we have a show me state, but friends, we are a show me people, aren't we? You see, with the Christian life, seeing is not believing. <laughs> with the Christian life, we find that we walk by faith and not by sight. And this is very significant when it comes to the second commandment because God here is forbidding what? He is forbidding the worship of images and idols. And these images and idols do what? They can be seen, but they are not heard. And God is a God who is heard, but is not seen. And so notice the contrast here. There at Mount Sinai, are there things to see? Absolutely. There are clouds and there is lightning and there's all kinds of things going on, but the people do not see God. They hear Him. And at the sound of His voice, they tremble. And you compare that with icons and images and idols. They are seen, but they are not heard. I've had the opportunity to go to places all over the world And I have seen all over the world the heart of man and how man creates images of false gods and then worships those images. I can remember being in Southeast Asia multiple times and seeing there just outside of a person's home, they would create a small shrine and they would have a small image in that and every morning they'd have to go out and they'd have to make offerings to that image, that icon, that idol, Sometimes they put a glass of milk there, or orange juice, or, or incense they would burn there. I'd go to different temple sites and see these rather large images of many different religions, but they're all consistent in doing what? They all come and they bow down before those images. They, they offer sacrifices to them. And in all these experiences I've had, you know what I've never seen? Never seen somebody bow down to one of these statues and have that statue speak to them. In fact, you think about it and watch it here. These images, these icons, these idols are dependent on these people to feed them and clean them and care for them. Not much of a God, is it? And so here God forbids, He forbids us to create with our hands something we would then worship, something that we can see but not hear. He says instead we are to worship Him who we can hear but not see. See, the tendency of our heart is to do what? The tendency of our heart is to go after that which we can see. See, I would guess for most of us in this room, we are more driven by the visual than the verbal. I'll give you an example. If I played a movie for you today on this screen that was two hours long, that was of interest to you, you wouldn't move. Most of us would just sit. In fact, sometimes, what do you say? I I couldn't get out of my seat. If I played even a movie for you about Jesus... Some of you, that would be your experience. You would sit and you couldn't move and you would just be enthralled by this visual image in front of you. But if I share with you verbally for two hours about the words of Christ and the Word of Christ and proclaim the Word of Christ, oh, friends, I apologize to anybody who's about to get up and go to the bathroom, but you wouldn't be able to sit there, would you? You'd have to get up and go to the bathroom. And now somebody's thinking, oh, I should have gone already. Now he just called me out. Why is it that you struggle to sit through a sermon? Why is it that you so easily get distracted? It's because, friends, we're a visual people. We want to see things. And so often we are drawn to the visual over the verbal. And so it's happened all the way from the beginning. Now again, God's Word has always been principle here. The verbal has always been foundational. So in Genesis 1, when God creates the heavens and the earth, how does He do it? Through His Word. He speaks the world into creation. That's the power of the Word of God He creates Adam and Eve. He places them in the garden. He gives them His Word, His command, His instructions. He tells them what to do and not to do. And what is it that tempts them? They are tempted by what they see. They see the fruit. And the Scripture says it was a delight to the eyes. What about the words? What about the verbal? Well, that's the very thing that the enemy brings into question, isn't it? Did God really say that? And so they begin to doubt what was said, and what becomes primary is what is seen. And this is the inclination of our heart. We are a wayward people because our flesh response is to walk by what we see rather than by our faith. The Scripture tells us to do the opposite. It says we are to walk by faith instead of by what we see. Well, what about those who saw? What about those who who, who saw Christ? You think about John 20? Christ, the resurrected Christ? comes and appears to the disciples and and they marvel at the glory of Christ and Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas says, well, well, I'll believe it when I see it. And God is gracious. God is merciful to Thomas. What does He do? He shows him. Jesus visits again. Thomas sees him, he invites Thomas, Thomas, come touch these hands, Thomas, come see me. But what is the application of that passage? The application of that passage is not in order to believe you need to see the resurrected Christ. No, Jesus gives us the application in John 20, verse 29. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So Jesus says to you at Bloomfield Baptist Church this morning, "You are more blessed than Thomas." He says, "You have a greater blessing in your life because you believe without seeing. Thomas demanded to see in order to believe." You see, friends, our our, fre- our faith rests on the word that we hear, not on the sight that we see, and this is why it's so dangerous. For us to entertain this this notion of images and icons and idols. This is why God forbids this when it comes to our worship. Because our flesh tendency is to gravitate towards those things. And so it's it's purposeful. It's purposeful that when we sing our desires that we focus on the words and not images. It's purposeful that when there's lyrics on that screen... That it's a black screen with, with just white words. That it's plain. That's purposeful. Because the inclination of our heart, if we had pictures of disciples walking along the, 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 the roadside there, our, our, our heart would then start to focus on those pictures and not even think about the words. It's purposeful that when you walk in today, we don't have icons all over the place in here because the inclination of your heart would be to begin to just focus on those things. My goodness, we, we'll split a church over stained glass windows because our focus is on what we see. Just a side note. Those are Stickers. Hope that didn't mess your worship up. But if it did, you were in sin to begin with. See, see, God says we are to worship Him and worship Him alone, and we are to do this the right way. And the right way is not through conjuring up all these images and pictures and icons. So what is the right way? Well, the right way comes through Christ and comes through the Word of Christ and that's the third point there in your outline faith comes through comes from hearing the word of Christ and so in Romans chapter 10 Paul is addressing this and he's saying listen in order for you to come into a relationship with christ you don't need to see a bunch of images and icons what you need is you need to hear the word proclaimed and he gives that word very clearly he says that that we are all sinful and separated from god that that the wages of our sin is death that god demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners christ died for us Then he gives this glorious truth that if we'll confess christ as lord and believe in our heart that god raised him from the dead we'll be saved and everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved that's glory But then notice what he says about that. Romans 10 beginning in verse 14. So, So how do we do that? How will they call on Him in whom they've not believed? They need to see a picture of Him. It's not what it says in case you're not following there. And how are they to believe in Him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? He goes on to say, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of Christ. Friends, have you ever considered why we don't have a portrait of Jesus Christ today? I mean, consider it this way. We have... Artistic renderings of people who walked this earth centuries before Christ. We have portraits, we have paintings of people who ruled and were important historical figures long before the Gospels. Now why is it that God didn't have Jesus call? Someone who was an artist to be one of the disciples and to walk around and to just make sketches of Him all the time so we could have these real pictures. I don't want to rock your world too much, but the pictures that most of us have seen of Jesus, fair-skinned, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, if that's what you think Jesus looks like, you're going to be so confused in heaven. You're going to be like I was in Orlando. Where's he at? Where's he at? You're walking all over the place. The, the, the Scripture doesn't give us a detailed description of the appearance of Jesus. God did not give us an artistic rendering of Jesus during His time here on earth. Why? Because here's the thing. You know what the Scripture says about Jesus. Matt preached about it last week. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He's the one true, pure image. So, why didn't God give us that image today? Because, friends, we would then worship God the wrong way because we'd worship the image. Think of all the skewed, tainted images we have. All the fair-skinned, blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesuses. All the statues around the world of Jesus and of Mary and of all these others. You will go around the world and do you know what you will see? Time and time again, people will be lined up, bowed down, making sacrifices to wood and dirt and mud and statues. And they will worship the creation instead of the Creator. And God says to us, I will not have it. God demands that we worship Him and worship Him alone. And He demands that we worship Him rightly. And what is that right way? Friends, we don't need to worship God through an image because we have the image. We have His Son. And we worship Him through His Son through His Word. Because while we do not have a picture of Jesus, we have the Word of Christ. And that Word has been handed down to us. And that's why the Scripture says the Word is so important. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld His glory. The Word is Jesus. And what you and I desperately need today... Is not a portrait that we can meditate on. We need a word that we can meditate on. Because if you're looking at a picture, friend, well, interpretations vary, don't they? I'm no art critic. My wife's the art teacher. But I've had a chance to go to a few art galleries. and I remember one gallery we went to and we were sitting there looking at this painting and i i don't want to sound too critical here but i'm i mean it looked like a four-year-old with a bunch of paint could have done this painting and as i'm standing there admiring i hear this person beside me say to the person beside them what does this say to you (laughs) well it hasn't said anything to me yet i'm interested to hear what it said And I don't remember. it was something like, you know, well that's this is the struggle of primeval man. That's not what it's saying to me at all. But but even for those of you who are art critics, you think about that, what does this say to me? Well, well, it says different things to different people, doesn't it? So Think about even things you see, not art. Think about just something you witness. Why is it that when there's an accident that takes place, why is it they want multiple witness accounts? Because people, they see different things, don't they? And if you want to get the full picture, you have to talk to more people because what this person sees, maybe they didn't see it correctly. Maybe this person didn't see it the right way either. But if you get them all together, maybe you can start to get a full portrait. But even then, you might not fully understand and see what was there. Friends, our eyes deceive us. And by God's grace and mercy, he didn't say to us, walk by sight. Because friends, if we did, how blind would we be? How confused? How terrible would it be to exist in this world trying to find God our own way? No, God has clearly spoken to us through His Word. And through His Word, He's given us His truth. And through His Word, we learn of His Son. And so then we can rightly worship Him and respond to Him through hearing this Word, not through seeing an image. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews 11.1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, The conviction of things not seen. I want to say this carefully. During times of grief and of struggle and of hardship, we are tempted to say to God, God, show me. God, I need a sign. God, God, I need to see something. We're, We're tempted even to look for signs and things to speak to us. Friends, let me tell you what we need more than seeing. We need to hear. And what we need more than a sign is we need a Word, and God has given us that Word through His Son. And here it is. And yet, so often, we don't even open it. And then this is how God has spoken to his people. This is how he has instructed us. He has spoken to us clearly, and he's called us to respond to what his word says. And so we need to be mindful that we are drawn towards the visual, towards things we can see. But God says to us, no, we need to listen to what He has said. And what He has said to us is that our our sight is not irrelevant, but our sight is very tainted, this sight of eternity. The great word He's given us is listen to me now, and one day we will see. Matthew five eight, Jesus says, "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God." One day, friend, one day we will see. Great words of that hymn. It is well that that glorious day when our faith becomes sight, and our eyes are opened as if it were the first time, and we can see clearly. 1 Corinthians 13 says, we're not there yet. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For now in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And so what we need today in this, this place where we can't fully yet see, what we need to believe is we need the Word, and we need reminders from the Word. And friends, that's what the Lord's table is for us that this table is not intended to be a visual experience for you today. Okay, That this is not a time to take this little piece of bread and to meditate on a piece of bread. We're not to look to this and try to imagine or even for a moment to believe or indicate that in some way this is physically the body of Jesus or becomes the body of Jesus at some point. No, this is a piece of bread. I don't even know you can really say it, Pat. It's a little chiclet thing. It's tiny. Why do we receive it together? Because it is a reminder to us of the body of Christ that went to the cross. It's a reminder to us of the truth of the Gospel. Friends, I did not see Jesus on the cross. Nor did you. Nor do we need to. But I believe He went to the cross. Because His Word tells me that. And what I need today is a reminder of the Word that Jesus indeed died on that cross for my sin, bore my penalty and yours once and for all. I don't need a picture to stare at. I need a Word to remember. that's what this reminds us of. That this cup... Friends, we, we are not here to suggest for a moment that this cup is the very blood of Jesus or becomes the blood of Jesus. You know what's in this cup? Welch's grape juice. Not off-brand. Welch's. Get the good stuff. Chris Coulter put this Welch's grape juice in this cup about 8 o'clock this morning in a little sports squirt bottle. And I assure you, when he did that, nothing transformed in the way that this is juice that it reminds us of something. I wasn't there, nor were you, the day my Savior died, but I believe He died and His blood was shed, and that I'm covered in it today. And this cup reminds me of that. And when the tempter comes and says to me, oh yeah, but not that. Oh man, if they knew about that. No way God can forgive that. I plead the blood. I remember the blood. And I remember the Word that tells me that Christ's blood was indeed sufficient for all my sin and yours. This bread and this cup, friends, are a reminder to us today. And that's why we come to the table. This is not visual. This is a reminder of what God said. This is a reminder of what His Word tells us. And that's why in a moment when I read for us, 1 Corinthians 13, and we come to this table together, we'll read the words of Paul who says, here's what I heard, here's what I was told, and here's what I'm telling you. Paul doesn't say, okay, everybody, get out your painting of the Last Supper and think about it for a while. No, he says, Jesus took the bread and He said, remember. Took the cup and He said, remember. And then He said, these things are to remind us not just to look back on what has been done, but they are to remind us of what is to come. They remind us of the words of Christ who on our most desperate and lonely day when we feel abandoned and alone and orphaned, He said to us what? I will not leave you as orphans. He said, you're in My hand, you're in the Father's hand. Go ahead and try. (laughs) He said, no one can snatch you out.'" We come to this table, friends, because we need a desperate reminder that our salvation is based in the finished work of Christ and not on what we've done or will do. And we come to this table as a reminder of what is to come, that one day Christ will make all things new. One day. One day we will see. And in His grace, He tells us what we'll see. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be crying anymore or mourning or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Friends, that's what our faith rest in not on what we see but on what we've heard and god in his grace says to us oh one day we will see